Welcome to the home for Bible geeks everywhere. This This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. What's up, Bible geeks, and welcome to another episode of the Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and it's really good to be back with you. The reason there hasn't been an episode of the Edge Podcast over the last few weeks is because of a cornucopia of reasons, from family vacations to out-of-town guests to some traveling, and the main reason being that I had to line up my schedule with that of our special guest today. You see, this week, we're taking a little pause in our study of the book of James, and we're focusing on a cultural topic that, for me, is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And knowing my demographic the way that I do, I think a great number of you guys are going to really dig this discussion as well. We are talking about video games. Now, I gave you some statistics on the last show about the average age and the amount of people in the U.S. that are self-professing gamers. Everything from PC gaming to home console gaming like Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo to even playing Clash of Clans or Candy Crush on your phone. A new statistic shows that as of 2016, the average age for a video game player is 35 years old. In fact, more gamers are over the age of 36 than between the ages of 18 to 35 or even under the age of 18. That demographic is mostly men, but not by much. Men make up about 52% of that, while women are making up about 48%. It's financially one of the biggest industries as well. The Global Games Market Report projects that in 2017, worldwide revenues will reach $107 billion. In the U.S., nearly all American teens say they play video games. The number is actually 97%. It's not just teens either. Uh, More than half of all American adults over the age of 18 say that they play video games as well. That number is 53%. So clearly when I say that I myself have been a longtime video game fan for 28 years, I'm not the only one as it's not just a children's toy that is outgrown, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry and media forum that provides content with different rating systems for different levels of maturity. But interestingly enough, I tend to find that for something that is so widely popular and enjoyed by so many people, in many circles, video games are still kind of taboo. It's a style of new media that still offers some form of undiscovered country for many people. And that can always raise some alarms, especially with parents who constantly see different news outlets that portray video games as just a medium to influence your children to do bad things. Now, for us, you add a new element in all of that, and that's the need to weigh all that we do according to whether it's beneficial, neutral, or harmful to our Christianity. Like everything in our lives, we are called to interpret something's worth and benefit to us according to what scripture tells us about holy living. And that raises a few questions for discussion. If alone in the quiet corner of my house while wearing headphones, I rob a bank in a video game, have I actually done something that violates God's standard of holiness for my life? Is it anti-Christian to fictionally become a wizard wielding magic in a video game? 
Or is it just playful escapism that you can shut off and leave behind you? Well, our special guest today is kind of an expert on the topic of video games. As a matter of fact, he is the author of a book called Of Games and God, A Christian Exploration of Video Games. He's a graduate from Calvin College and a professor of media and communication at Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia. He writes about the intersection of communication, culture, media, technology, and faith primarily by talking about computer and video games. I want to welcome to the show Professor Kevin Scott. Kevin, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the Edge Podcast, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks, man. Well, Kevin, my audience is made up of a lot of video gamers, like myself and also like myself, just pop culture nerds in general wearing Star Wars and Doctor Who t-shirts. But there are also a lot of people who listen to this show, who listen to it just for the hermeneutic Bible study, who aren't necessarily gamers and perhaps have even distanced themselves from that culture and maybe even have some presupposed ideas of what a gamer is. So let's just get this out of the way for those who might have some misconceptions. You are an adult gamer and you don't just live in your parents' basement, do you? That's correct. <laughs> I have not lived in my parents' basement for a good 20-some years. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a lifelong gamer and... Uh, I do fit many of the stereotypes. I'm a, you know, a white male. I grew up in the 1980s. Uh, there's a lot of people my age uh, who uh, sort of came of age as video games were becoming a, a major cultural force. And what's interesting about, I mean, you cited all those demographics at the beginning. What's interesting about gaming culture is that uh, already, you know, they were talking about this 15 or 20 years ago in the industry, is that when people start playing games, they may slow down a little bit when they get older. They maybe don't play quite as much as when they were younger, but they usually don't drop it all together. And so, the, the, as you, you know, the demographic for gaming uh, is just growing older and older all the time. Uh, and, you know, in another, you know, 20 or 40 years, uh, the idea of a senior citizen being a, a regular video gamer is, will be no more remarkable than a senior citizen being a regular television watcher, right? Sure, uh, sure. And, and so we will get used to it, but we're still kind of in that transition zone where uh, for many people, uh, it, it seems like an unusual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now you actually play video games for a living. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I uh, bill myself when I, <laughs> when I go and speak with school kids. Because uh, uh, that, that gets a good uh, appreciative, ooh, ah, but uh, realistically, I am a university professor, so gaming is only a small part of my job. But yes, I can, I can say that legitimately. I get paid to play video games, so yes. Oh, man. So, I mean, we live in a culture where so many young people, all those young people you were talking about, even people my age, would, you know, people are trying Twitch streams, they're getting on YouTube, and they're doing whatever they can to try to make a living just playing video games for people. Really, I think the moral of the story here with you is is just go to school and get a college education, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. <clears throat> well, as a university professor, I'm legally obligated to say that to you anyway. That's right. Uh, That's right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, it, it is, uh, the, the world is developing very quickly here, and there is an entire spectator entertainment industry that's building up that you know uh you know five years ago was was not even an option and yeah i mean 
the university uh, connection with that is significant. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, we, my own university actually is launching a uh, game development uh, program next year that I've, I've set up. Um, and uh, at least that's the plan, pending the, the approval from the government, but mm -hmm. that's the plan. We're going to launch next fall, and this is a Christian university, and we are teaching people to make games. So there is, in fact... There are careers here. There's a living in this. It's it's amazing. And and uh, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, none of that's or very little of that stuff was on the table. Right, right. Now, as a 39 year old gamer such as myself, often when I talk to other adults, and I hate to say it, but especially at church, I tell them that I enjoy video games in my downtime. And so often, at the least, I get that look like I just told them that I play alone on the floor with Fisher-Price toddler toys. <laughs> and at the other end of the pendulum, there are those whose attitude towards video games is that of villagers with torches and pitchforks going to burn the castle down. I've actually had someone say to me once that video games are too violent and they wouldn't let them into their house, but then I looked over at their DVD shelf and I saw the entire Quentin Tarantino collection on the DVD rack. So <laughs> so let me, let me ask you this, Kevin. Why is something that is so influential in our culture today? We were talking about all the statistics, uh, especially with adult gamers. Why is something that is so influential in our culture today as the video game medium still seemingly taboo to so many people in our culture? I, I mean, there, there, there are a whole bunch of possible answers, uh, and it's hard to know for sure which is true. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about video games is that they, they do seem to be a polarizing medium, that uh, people who uh, get into them really get into them, and people who aren't into them don't get into them at all. It's kind of like a all-in or all-out thing except that that's not really true. Because when you include things like casual games and little time wasters on phones and things like that, there are actually a huge percentage of the population nowadays actually does play at least some video games. But often people who play little casual games, or like for example, a lot of uh, people will play solitaire on their, on their uh, computers. Sure. And uh, they don't think of that as, as video gaming, right? And, and uh, a little time waster like Candy Crush or something like that uh, on their phone uh, often people don't think of that as gaming. And so uh, we have these cultural categories of gamer and non-gamer, and, and they, they seem to be much more extreme than television watcher and not television watcher, or film watcher and not film watcher. Sure. And I'm not entirely certain why that is. It might have to do with the historical development of the game medium, that it, it, it's always been sort of this hardcore audience that's been at the core of the industry until, you know, the last... 15 or 10 years or so as casual has become a bigger market. Um, so that that's part of it. Uh, but there's also the historical pattern that is not unique to video games. And that is every time something new comes along, culturally speaking, whether we're talking about the church or whether we're talking about society as a whole, we start to look at something like that with a little bit of suspicion. And, and in fact, you, you do actually get the pattern of, um, either true believers, people who say this new thing, whether it's television or the phonograph or, or video games or whatever, they're, they're like, this is the best thing ever, and everything that's came, that ever came before is just a complete waste of time. And then you also get the flip side of someone who says, this thing is going to be the downfall of civilization. And uh, that historical pattern is remarkably, it's, it's remarkable how often that happens, right? right. Um, 
<laughs> the telegraph appears and and uh, uh, there's this huge cultural movement of people are saying it's going to eliminate wars and bring world peace and bring us all together and and then you have a bunch of grumbly people who are going this is like completely useless I don't care what's you know going on I care what's you know way across the sea I care about the people right next to me and 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 they're talking about how it makes you know information disconnected and 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 so uh, the problem is our historical memory is not good. Yeah. So people think a video game comes along and they're like, this is the first time that we've ever confronted something like this. When in fact, when people start complaining about it, they're actually repeating, uh, uh, complaints <laughs> that have been almost exactly done before in, in my book. And I, I really shouldn't give away my, my, the surprise here, but I, I love this piece. I've, I, I have this quote complaining about how bad video games are and how parents don't understand what their kids are doing and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And then I actually point out that the quote is actually from the 1930s, and it was talking about film, and I just substituted the word <laughs> game in for film. Uh, and when you read it, it sounds like a contemporary criticism. And then you realize it's actually 70 or 80 or 90 years old, and you kind of go, holy cow, we've been doing this already. We've, we've done this before. So I think... When you run into that in church, that suspicion, it's actually part of a pattern uh, that, that is, is well-established in culture. And, uh, you know, in some ways, video games are not new. I mean, the, right. the industry started in the 70s, uh, uh, you know, about the time I was born. Uh, but uh, in some ways, it is the newest of the major media that are out there. And it took a while for the medium to develop technologically as well to the point where it could really have major cultural impact. So in some ways, the last 10 or, or 15 years has been the time where we've finally been forced to confront this, this big thing. Yeah. I really want to, um, as a, as a really a, a Bible appreciation show, um, I, I want to kind of move over to something. I really want to focus on tying in our Christianity um, and how that governs our actions with everything we do, including how we play. And I guess that's something I want to talk about. So often we always talk about the difference between serving like Martha and worshiping like Mary, and how in our Christian experience God will call us to seasons of doing each of those things. But we don't often talk about play specifically. We all do it, to some extent, whether it be passing a football or playing a board game with our family or even a video game. And so often the concept of play uh, seems to be kind of disconnected from everything else, almost like it gets disassociated and left out of the Christian experience. But as Christians, isn't everything we enjoy done in Christ? Doesn't that include our play as well? Would you talk a little bit about how play uh, fits into the Christian life and how often it should. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and this is an important point. Uh, historically, the church has uh, mm, maybe not frowned on play, but been nervous about it. Yeah. Play is, uh, uh, it, by its very nature, it's a little bit uncontrolled, it's, it's, uh, and so it's, it's a bit dangerous. And uh, if there's one thing that uh, the church has done over the years, it's focused on control and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, the fear of, of sin and, and uh, pain has been such that uh, often we, we flip into the alternate uh, sin of, of, of trying to over-control and over-determine and 
you know, uh, not let God be in control, but try to control things ourselves. And so the, the church has often been a little bit nervous with play. And, and it is true that if you look through the Bible itself, mm-hmm. that there are not a whole lot of passages, outside of passages in Psalms maybe that deal with music, uh, that there's not a whole lot of discussion directly of play. Uh, a lot of the uh, passages and stories that are being told are quite serious in nature. There's not a lot of humor. Uh, there are bits here and there, right? But the, the Bible as a whole, you have to you have to sort of push things to see a theology of play. I don't think it's completely absent, but uh, I I typically start. John Calvin talked about you know general revelation and special revelation, and the Bible is is God's special revelation and a very powerful thing that way, uh, and and gives us very clear uh, guidance from God directly. But creation itself is is God's textbook as well, and it's so, it's something that teaches us an awful lot about who He is as a Creator God and 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 what He loves. And when you look at creation, play is built right into the foundation of, of our experiences, humans as, as living creatures in general. I mean, there's a lot of study on how play is uh, fundamental even to animals. I mean, you just have to watch some kittens for a while, and, and, and you get a sense of how God loves play, that it's, it's just built right into uh, his creation. And, uh, and I think when you read backward from that and you look at the creation account in Genesis and you see, you can almost see and feel the same kind of thing that God is having fun making this world, that, <laughs> that, uh, there is something tremendously joyful and, 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 uh, that, that kind of thing that you see in, in, um, you know, the, the, uh, magician's nephew in, in C.S. Lewis, where he gives that beautiful creation account. And there's just this bubbling up of joy and, and humor and, and, and jokes and, and things like that. I think, that that it, it's not explicit in that, that text, but I think it's it's there just in the nature of of, of creation, uh, and uh, I think that uh, you know not everyone is equally playful, uh, and and I don't think that someone should be considered deficient if they're not you know really big on that. But I think for a lot of us, that's when we truly feel most human uh, when we're connecting with people in in play, whether it be sports or whether it be board games or whether it be video games. Uh, or just general play acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those are all things where God has built us to suppose and to imagine and to bounce off of each other and be creative. And, sure. and those are all things that I see in video games very much. Right, right. All right, guys, we are going to take a break to hear from our friend Todd Nelton over at Voice of the Martyrs Radio. But when we come back, I want to talk to Kevin about practicing morality as it concerns Christians and what they do in a video game. Don't turn off the show, we'll be right back. Where truth and entertainment are BFFs. The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Hi, I'm Todd Nettleton, and this is the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Born in Massachusetts, Henry Lyman lived a reckless life, but after giving his life to Christ, he became as bold for the gospel as he'd been against it. In 1834, he became one of the first American missionaries to Indonesia. A year into his gospel work among the tribes in Sumatra, Henry was confronted by Batak warriors. Henry Lyman was captured and murdered by the warriors, along with his colleague Samuel Munson. Though his service was short, his legacy lives on. 
In fact, today it's estimated that 75% of the Batak population now worships the god Henry Lyman served. I will not let my brothers and sisters suffer in silence, nor will I let them serve alone. To join me in prayer for persecuted Christians, go to vomradio.net. You're listening to the home for Bible geeks everywhere. This is The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Welcome back to the show. We're talking today with author and professor Kevin Scott, who wrote the book of Games and God, a Christian exploration of video games. And so far, it's been my favorite show already, just since we started The Edge Podcast, being the nerdist that I am. But Kevin, I want to bring up the idea of morality. Um, Video games offer their partakers the ability to interact with the medium in a way that really no other media ever has. Books don't allow you the flexibility to alter the story as you go along. Movies and TV shows don't allow you to become the characters in them or change the course of their destiny or even create yourself to put yourself in that story. Um, But with that kind of interaction and power in the story, for whatever story that game may offer, um, video games often present the player with decisions to make that if they were to make those decisions in real life, uh, those might stand against that Christian's personal convictions and standard of holiness. So, Kevin, this is a loaded topic, and I want to give you the floor to just kind of dive into it for us. When it comes to escapism or fantasy with a fictional world such as that in a video game, um, can morality be compartmentalized? Can you say, well, this fictional world has different rules and parameters, so morality is different here than the morality I practice away from the game in the real world? Um, In your own understanding, through your research and Bible study and just where you've come to in your walk, would you tell us how you would reason with all of that? Is it okay for a Christian's reasoning and morality to change in a fictitious world? Yeah, that's it's a great question. And to be honest, we could spend an hour and a half easily sure. just talking about this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be really brief and I hope your listeners will be willing to read a little bit more and, and think a little bit more deeply on this and understand that I'm probably oversimplifying a few things here or there. Yeah. Um this is something that, by the way, is not something that just Christians are struggling with. I was just at a conference this summer with a bunch, mostly philosophers, dealing with the whole right and wrong uh, action in, in video games, and most of them are not Christian. And uh, asking similar kinds of questions, you know, when you murder someone in a game, uh, is that an ethically okay action from a you know philosopher's perspective? Uh, and uh, it's it's a great it's a great question. My own research actually recently has been to interview gamers and talk about this. Now, as a gamer myself, I, I had, you know, my own take on, you know, what it, what it was like to, to play games and do, you know, right or wrong actions in those games. Sure. Uh, and uh, as I suspected, the, the, the interviews show that, that gamers have really complicated uh, thinking and reasoning about what they're doing in games. And, um, it's interesting that, like, when we watch a game, like, uh, I, I'm hoping that I'm not spoiling this for anyone, but in Fallout 3, for example, you have the opportunity uh, right near the beginning of the game uh, to uh, uh, to uh, decide whether or not you're going to blow up the town of Megaton for some money. 
Uh, and clearly, you know, killing a whole bunch of innocent people is, is you know, in, in, if it was in real life, that would obviously be uh, immoral. Uh, and, and how do you deal with that as a gamer? Is it, is it okay to try that? And uh, uh, the, the fact is that, uh, in a sense, what you could argue fairly easily mm -hmm. that what you're seeing on the screen is not a moral decision at all. It's just a bunch of pixels. Right? right, and you're just seeing what happens when you press particular buttons, uh, and uh, and in fact there are many gamers who sort of uh, assume that that sort of frame of mind, and then there are other people who say, well, no, the story is like real life, and and or at least it has enough similar to, uh, similarity to real life that. Uh, 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 you can't really sort of erase the fact that you you've you know got these these characters. They may not be real people, but they're enough like real people that when you do something terrible like kill them in an unjustified way, that uh, you know that that's a that's a bad action. Um, and there isn't actually a really clear uh, indication when you talk with gamers, uh, that they have a single way of looking at these things. And one of the things that I've found in my research is that people flip between mindsets. We call them frames, mm -hmm. uh, uh, mindsets, uh, when they're playing. And sometimes they're thinking like a character. Sometimes they're thinking like a storyteller. Sometimes they're thinking like a competitor. I mean, when you're playing a game often, you're just trying to win. And so whatever it takes to win, you do. Sure. And, uh, it's not at that point, it's not really a moral decision, decision at all. It's just, what do you do to, to, to succeed? Right. right. Um, so that, that makes things really, really complicated when you're evaluating this. And uh, I know that, that people who are not gamers often look at gamers when they're playing these games and they go, how could you shoot that person? That's a terrible action. How could you possibly do that? And people who play games all the time go, it's not what you think it means. Right. right? Like if, if, you, if you're playing these things regularly, you know it's not like that. I, I'm not, it's not anything like actually shooting a real person. It's, and, and in fact, it looks like that. But in the middle of a, an a intense action se section, I'm not thinking about guns. I'm thinking about getting through this section. That's all I'm thinking about right now. Uh, and so th there's that argument, and it goes on in churches too. This this kind of argument: No, you're doing something terrible. No, I'm not. I'm, you know, and and the fact is that I think that it's far more complicated than the critics want to say. But I also think that as Christian gamers, we have to be very, very intent on looking at our own thoughts, our own emotions, and our own feelings. So I don't, I, uh, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second here, but I, what I want to emphasize is that uh, I don't think there's a clear guideline. I can't give you a set of rules for, as a Christian gamer, you should never shoot someone in a game. I, I can't do that for you. But what I can say is that as a gamer, and especially if you're a young person, the sooner you can start working on this, the better, you need to be, you need to gain a certain amount of spiritual discernment about yourself. You need to be looking into yourself and you need to be, you know, thinking and praying about the stuff that you're doing in a game. And the question I have for gamers is when you do violent things in games, when you do uh, bad things in games, what are the effects? And you have to be honest with yourself here. Are you finding that you're dwelling on violence? Are you finding that you're dwelling on death? Is this something that appeals to you? Is this, you know, is, is seeing large clouds of blood something that is, you know, something that you're taking enjoyment from? Because I don't see how that actually fits with the gospel of Christ. That, 
that to me is something that is is a, is significantly problematic. Sure. On the other hand, uh, maybe that's not what's happening when you're playing games. And if you can honestly, with a true conscience, say that, then I think we're getting into Paul's, you know, instructions about spiritual freedom, and 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 uh, there's there's a possibility that that works. But I will say, just from the outside, and I I write this in my book, that I think that there is an, an inherent negative to virtual negative actions. Uh, and, and I think that we have to be careful with them. I think we have to be careful with them. I, I would never say outright, you should never be able to play game X, you know, right. because Christians can't play that. But I think that you do have to think about the fact that what are you doing in this game? Are you really going out and massacring people? Well, that strikes me as problematic, and we need to really think that through. So that's the five-minute version, and I know there's a lot more to say, to say about that. Sure, sure. That's a very deep philosophical area. Here's the thing, Kevin, I, I got to ask you, because with me and on this show specifically and and the fans of this show, uh, you have all the freedom to answer this question with absolute gamer honesty, okay? Did you... <laughs> okay. Did you blow up Megaton? <laughs> Uh, no, I did not. Uh, no, and, and this is this is me as a gamer. I know this is terrible. Uh, me as a gamer, I am such a goody two shoes. I cannot. I, I do not like doing the bad things. Now, what's funny about this is, as a researcher, sometimes I do have to do the bad things sure. just so that I can write about them. Sure. Like you know, if I don't, in in that particular case, there's so many people writing about what happens. I just watched a YouTube clip of it, and I was like, okay, someone else did it. I can, I can go off of that, but. Uh, uh, so I will sometimes do things that I find repulsive in games just so that I can, you know, write about the experience, but by and large, no, I, I, uh, tend to avoid, uh, doing those bad things just because I feel yucky afterwards sure. and that's just me, but I know lots of people who are good, upright, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, people with strong Christian faith and they are comfortable with it. And there is one flip side question that I find absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to focus on if you do something bad in a game, have you done something bad in real, you know, have you done something really bad? Sure. Very, very few people ever ask the flip question. If you do something good in a game, have you done something truly noble, virtuous, and, and honest? <laughs> and it, it seems like. On the one side, it's that's such a laughable question. Yeah, I just saved the village. Well, no, you didn't. Sure. You played a game, right? Yeah. But if that's the reasoning that we use, then why, when we turn around and say, well, you just massacred a village. Sure, sure. No, I didn't. I played a game, right? Right, right. So there needs to be, I think, some consistency there. You, you either, you know, you take the good with the bad, uh, I, I think. And, and if virtual virtue is a good thing, then sure. virtual evil is a bad thing. Sure. And flip side, if virtual virtue is not that important, then uh, why are you arguing virtual evil is? <laughs> I, I think that there's, there's some inconsistency there. I, I personally think it's somewhere in between. I think it's somewhere in between. Sure. I think there is something positive about doing positive actions in games, and there is something negative about doing something negative in games, but it's not as extreme as anything like real life. <laughs> That's my my gut feel on this, and as I research, I hope I get a sort of a better bead on that. Sure, I love I love how you flip that question around, though. You know, I don't need to sponsor a child for real because I've already saved an entire village in Far Cry Four. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no need to actually make any charitable donations because I already gave it uh, in in Norath or you know uh, wherever Faroon or wherever I'm doing my things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Well, you yeah, know, okay. Kevin. Oh, you know, I know you're a you're a dad. Um, you have a couple of kids. I have three you girls. Have three girls. Okay, so a lot of parents, without any knowledge of video games, have a real honest fear about introducing video games to their kids when their kids eventually want them, uh, out of having a fear that these games are going to corrupt them. How do you, as mm-hmm. a game enthusiast, and, and to be honest, I'm asking you this question as a fellow father. I'm a longtime gamer like you, and I just had my first child two years ago. And so I've got a two-year-old daughter. Mm. Um, how do you, as a game enthusiast, share that love with your children? And what are the, the guidelines implemented uh, in your household when it comes to playing video games, uh, either separately or as a family? Well, there's two sets of issues that are worth talking about, and again, I'll try to be brief. Uh, there's there's the whole um, uh, amount of playing, and uh, then there's also the content of, of playing. And just so that people are aware, I, I my well, eldest is a teenager; she's just about 14, and my youngest is is uh, just turned eight. So. Uh, so we're at this stage where uh, they're definitely aware of what they're doing and they're, they're uh, starting to explore pop culture on their own quite a bit more now. Uh, and uh, uh, so this is, this is a very pragmatic issue for us. So I'll talk about amount first because I think that's the simpler one. Uh, there is a fair amount of psychological research that shows that too much uh, screen time uh, is... Uh, problematic for developing children. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, in reality, I think psychologists go a little bit over the top with, the, like, the, the the American Medical Association or something says that children shouldn't play uh, anything or watch anything on a screen, period, uh, until they're like two or something right, like right. that for developmental purposes. And I think that's ridiculous. I, like, I, I can't imagine uh, parenting nowadays doing that. I mean, if you do that, Kudos to you. That's a sure. good for you. But I don't think that that's a standard that parents should feel guilty about. <laughs> if you do that, if you do that, you probably don't get anything else done. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it, right? Like, you know, like, there's there's limits. I mean, the, the, the expectations on parents have changed and the nature of parenting has changed. Some amount of screen time, whether it's watching videos or playing little games, you know, and there are a lot of apps for little kids now. Sure. Um, I, I, just, I just do not see the problem with that. I think hours that's a problem. Uh, but you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And so we always sort of watched our kids pretty carefully just to make sure that they didn't do too much. And we were very concerned that, that they, they loved reading when they, they, they grew up. Well, as it turns out, all three of my girls absolutely are engrossed by books. So I don't have a problem with them playing some games uh, now and then, and and we I play games with them, and they play games by themselves on little devices, and and like they're huge Minecraft fans, and and they watch Minecraft videos and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't I don't have a problem with it, and, and like it's summertime right now, and and they're doing a lot more of it, and when school starts, they're going to be doing a lot less, and and that's okay. We just we want a healthy sort of balance there, and that's a really important thing for us as parents. In terms of content. This is the one that I think most uh, most parents are really uh, afraid of, and and it's the whole corruption issue that you talk about that people are going to be misguided and misled. 
And again, this does come back to something I said earlier in the podcast about control. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this sense, we love our kids, right? And, and we would do anything to, to help them and to bless them. And, and, you know, my prayer for my girls every night before I go to bed is that, you know, they, they grow up to, to follow Christ and to be, you know, leaders and, and uh, you know, just that they will grow in generosity and love and all the rest of that kind of stuff. What I have to keep reminding myself as a parent is that in the end, they are their own people. We've been given trust of them for a number of years, but we can't control everything that happens with them and that we have to trust that God will walk alongside them and and, uh, take care of them. And so I actually, I, we do try to keep our kids away from, you know, explicit sexual scenes and from, you know, bad language and, and from extreme violence. But as they get older, uh, it's going to be harder and harder to do that. And, and it, at some point, they need to make their own choices about those things. They are, you know, at some point, they're going to be leaving. And I'm good with that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, so uh, at, at some point, what we need to do, rather than protect them from things, we need to equip them right. to deal with things. We need to teach them to be critical thinkers. We need to help them uh, own their own beliefs and then figure out what that means in practice. And uh, so uh, I'm not, you know, if my girls see a swear word on a a show or something like that, I'm not going to rush over and cover their ears or cover their eyes. We talk about it, right? Right. And it's the same thing with an explicit sexual scene. If if, uh, they happen to catch something from a television show or something like that, I think the worst thing I could do is flip out at that point. Uh, we, we we need to talk. Let's let's talk and let's say, well, what do you think about that? And and uh, why do, what do you believe about that? Is that okay? Why do you think that? Uh, and and uh, is it okay for you to watch something like that? And then talk it through. And and the more they can own their own behavior in terms of media use, the the better off uh, they're they're going to be because at some point they will leave. And uh, I'm not going to be sitting beside them anymore. And, and I, I need to know that, that uh, they're mature and responsible adults and they're going to sort of figure things out for themselves. So is daddy only the gamer or is mommy a gamer too? <laughs> Actually, as it turns out, it's pretty much me. <laughs> uh, I, I know some families. I know some families where both the the, the, the husband and the wife love games, and uh, and even some situations where maybe the wife loves games more than the husband. But that, that I'm uh, my my wife is not really into video games. She'll play a little bit here and there, sure. but she's not she's not really into it. And uh, even board games. Uh, we discovered early in our marriage that. Uh, Board gaming was not actually good for our relationship because we're both a bit too competitive. Uh, so uh, we, I want we boardwalk. Actually, and park place is mine. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we we played settlers uh, together for a little bit and then decided that maybe that was not the best idea for us. So. Um, so actually, no, my, my wife doesn't, uh, doesn't play games so much, but my girls all do. Sure. Uh, and, uh, that's one of the things that dad does with the girls and we will sit down and we'll play, you know, the King's Quest series or we'll play, um, uh, we played Splatoon and, and, uh, uh, right now, what are we going through? Um, oh, uh, Overcooked. 
uh, Overcooked, which is a great cooperative game, mm -hmm. uh, as long as you don't mind screaming at each other because it's, <laughs> uh, things go wrong and then you get angry at each other. But it's actually really good for team building and, and sort of you know uh, working out relationships and stuff like that. So yeah, we have games that we play together and we really enjoy that. It's it's a it's a fun time. It's a good way to build a relationship with my kids. So, so as a guy who uh, makes his living playing video games. Is that when you're doing your research, is that done out of the house or are you that really cool professor uh, whose office looks like a GameStop? <laughs> uh, I have a shelf full of old game boxes, um, <laughs> but it's mostly books. So, no, I'm not that cool, unfortunately. Uh, I uh, actually, this is a funny thing. I, I game a lot less than you might suppose. Uh, uh, generally speaking, once the school year gets going, I'm busy and I don't have time during the day to play games. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just sort of agreed in my family that it's probably better for me not to be... I, I only have a few hours with my girls after school sure. or before they go to bed. So I, I generally don't game until everyone's gone to bed. And, uh, you know, I, I need to get some sleep. So uh, I usually, you know, get in maybe... 45 minutes or an hour each night. Uh, and, uh, uh, that's about it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when I get a big game, like I did fallout four last year mm. and, uh, that can take me like a month or two to get through. Sure. Um, just because, you know, I, I have to do it in these little bite-sized chunks. Um, and I generally don't do gaming marathons. I just don't have time for it. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a little disappointing. I, you'd expect me to be playing anything and everything. <laughs> but I do try out a lot of different little things. Um, not as much as maybe I should. I, I end up playing Hearthstone over and over again. I sort of come back to that over and over again. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll try a lot of little indie things. And then I bought a Vive virtual reality system. So... Uh, you know, I get to play around with some stuff in there as well. And, and uh, so I, I try to do some different stuff. But, yeah, I'm not actually probably only about seven to ten hours a week is, is really probably what I'm doing in general. So you just talked about getting into Vive's uh, VR. I myself have the PlayStation 4 VR. And my question to you is somebody who's kind of got their finger on the pulse on the discussion of video games uh, from all different sizes. That's got to be a whole new loaded gun, uh, getting into the world of virtual reality, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean... I think we're we're going to see a bit of a delayed rollout. the The industry returns on the VR systems are um, tepid, shall we say? Not great. Um, uh, the first generation was more like a proof, you know, of concept, and uh, I think we're going to have to wait for another generation or two before it really becomes a mass phenomenon. But uh, at least in the gaming world, uh, but it's here to stay, and uh, it does change things uh it changes what you can do mechanically because moving around in those games is uh vomit inducing if you're not careful sure. um how you design it right so you can't do the standard kind of video games yet anyways that we are accustomed to but um but also just in terms of the psychological effect of it it, it is it's different uh uh, the first time I got my system, I'd, I'd tried it out before, so it wasn't completely new to me, and I'd been to some game, uh, you know, go go to game developers conference and, and I'd try out some systems. The first time I brought it home, though, and I was playing for a while, and I took the headset off, 
it was the strangest feeling uh, I've I've had in a long time. It felt like I was peeling off a reality, and I and there was another layer underneath. It was because you're used to this this image in front of your eyes, and you pull it off, and there's the real world underneath of it. And it, it was a very very odd feeling. And now I'm used to it, so it's not a big deal. But um, there is some serious concerns about just the psychological immersion, uh, what that can do to you. I mean, on the one hand, it's beautiful, uh, and and it's amazing what you can do with it. But on the other hand, there there are some very significant concerns. I, I think at this point, you know, the, the fears of people completely blurring the line between fantasy and reality is um, uh, probably overstated, mm-hmm. uh, simply because the, the, the headsets are, you know, are big and bulky sure. and, and feel a little weird. And, sure. uh, I mean, even if you have headphones over your ears, I mean, often we play with speakers rather than headphones so sure. that you can sort of interact with people around you. But, um, long run, uh, yeah, that immersiveness is, is going to have significant impact on, sort of the psychological, you know, uh, interaction with digital worlds. But I'm not a good prognosticator, so (laughs) I don't really know where that's going to go. I just know it's going to be important. Yeah, yeah. Now, Kevin, we have, and I want to kind of go back to something you you were talking about earlier because I thought it was so cool that you were talking about how the university was starting to create outlets for game developers. Um, We have... Christian radio. We've had it for a long time and so much of it is done with excellence. We have podcasts uh, like mine that aren't done with a lot of excellence. <laughs> but we have a we have a very deep Christian music industry that we've had for a while. Uh, in my opinion, Christian film is um, Christian filmmaking is still kind of a work in progress, but we're getting there. Obviously, we have magazines, we have great books and websites and bloggers and vloggers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, should Christians have more influence in game development? And if so, what do you think it should look like? Well, that is something that I have been thinking about a lot over the last few years as I've been building my program. And absolutely, I believe that Christians should be in the industry. Um I think that uh, there's, a, there's a different question of should there be explicitly Christian content in video games. Uh, the answer to both is yes, there should be. But I think that uh, Christians don't feel like, uh, shouldn't feel like they need to limit themselves just to producing Christian content. Uh, I'm sure that you listen to uh, non-Christian podcasts like I do, and, and sure. there's all kinds of uh, interesting and valuable stuff that you can get out of that. Uh, and it's the same thing in the movie industry, uh, and it's the same thing in uh, you know television and everywhere else. Um, Christ didn't say, you know, go forth and and uh, uh, you know send forth uh, good Christian messages on on the media. Uh, he said, go forth and make disciples. And and uh, I think our call is to be salt and light wherever we are called to be. And the fact is that the video game industry is a highly secular industry. It is one of the greatest mission fields out there because it has this massive cultural impact. And a lot of people working in the industry are either ignorant of religion in general or actively hostile to it. Uh, and I don't say this in, in a demonizing way because I, you know, I know some of these people who are, you know, anti-religious, and they're they're not. We can talk about them as lost, but I, I they're very much human beings, and and uh, I, I don't see them as enemies. Uh, 
but uh, it is true that it's it's a difficult environment to work in if you're a Christian, and and I want to see more Christians, not only uh, writing and designing games, but doing uh, the artwork uh, for a game that someone else has designed, or working in public relations, uh, or uh, uh, you know, uh, doing programming, which is not uh, an explicitly, uh, you know, Christian activity in, in, in some senses, but you can do it to the glory of God, and you can be uh, salt and light to the people around you. And so the concept for our game development program from the beginning has been this is not a program to teach Christ, uh, people to, you know, students to make uh, Christian games. It's It's a program to teach Christians to make great games. And uh, and that's what, that's our vision for our program is is to prepare people to either be writers and designers or uh, game artists uh, or uh, sound designers and musicians or uh, software developers or uh, business people because we're going to have an entrepreneurial aspect to this. We want marketers and managers uh, that that are prepared to work in the games industry, and we want all of them to be thinking about their faith. This is not a program that's going to dictate to them how, you know, how to uh, think about their faith. Uh, we, we want them how to do it exactly. We want to prepare them to do it. And we want them, you know, in a, in a Christian environment to be able to talk about what they believe and how that matters to what they do and, and to explore that so that when they get out into the world, they're they're actually ready to, to make a positive difference. And, and uh, you know, I, we're we're creating one of the first programs like this. this is not the, the very first, but it's one of the, the first programs in the Christian college. But I anticipate that this is going to be a more and more common thing. And, and I, I hope that especially young Christians who are thinking about this know that working in the games industry is not easy. You don't just walk into a job, but it is a mission field. And it is a place where if you have a passion, uh, you can make a big difference in the world. And I, I think that that's, that's, a, that's a really, really important thing. Is there at this point, uh, for those who are interested, I mean, I follow, I think, you know, you and I can definitely say about each other, we both, you know, probably follow a lot of the same information lines. Uh, you were talking about listening to secular podcasts quite often. I'm an IGN guy. Uh, for those of you who don't listen or don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about just, they're just a video game informant website. But, but you know, in talking about uh, that stuff, you know, in following all of the games I've ever seen come out, I've never really seen anything Christian themed for a while years ago. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Kevin, but there was a Larry Boy VeggieTales PlayStation 2 game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like the only thing <laughs> yeah. I think I've yeah. ever seen. And then and my my problem generally, and I admit that I might be a little too critical, but my, my thought as an artist, uh, you know, outside of this, I'm a musician. As an artist, we serve the greatest creator and artist of them all. Shouldn't we be inspired right. to make cutting edge art? And, and so what gets me is, is something I live in the Northeast of the United States, which is a very dark and very non-religious place. But there was a time where we had a bunch of Christian bookstores and I remember going into them. And one thing that always used to drive me crazy was things that were done half-heartedly, uh, that attached Jesus's name to it and therefore got away charging three times right. the amount of money for it. For instance, and you could go to you can go to any convenience store and you can buy a thing of icebreakers for breath mints, but you could go into the Christian bookstore and you could buy quote testaments for like 4 bucks. You know, so <laughs> 
And and so with that, you know, I've not seen a lot. That's why earlier I maybe sounded a little too critical of some of the Christian film I've seen as it's kind of come along a long ways. Um, But yes. But in that, you know, I'm still, I guess for me, I'm still, it does my heart good to hear what you're saying about what the university is doing for game development. I remember a few years ago, the only other attempt at a Christian game that I've ever seen try to make it on mainstream, uh, and maybe you can correct me if you can think of some other ones out there that people could play, but uh, remember, I used to work in Christian rock radio, and it was right during the craze where everybody who played games played Guitar Hero and or Rock Band. Right. And there was a company right. out in the West Coast that created a game called Guitar Praise. And it was, it was yeah. you, I don't know, do you remember Guitar Praise? I, I never actually played it, but I saw videos and the promotional stuff okay, for it, okay. so I'm aware of it. So yeah. I, they, they sent it to me. They sent me a free one, which normally sold, I think, between 100 or $120 to get the guitar and the game, and it was only a PC game. And it was, and they really promoted as as this is Christian culture's answer to uh, Guitar Hero. Um, and, and like you talked about earlier, yeah. I don't even really have a problem with a lot of the material on Guitar Hero. But it was, you know, just give me something that's done well. And so I think for me, it was, I actually ended up giving, we had we used to do game reviews on the show, uh, on this other show I was on. And, and I think we actually gave it like a three out of 10. Because right. this game, you know, it was, it was actually, it, it didn't actually have, um, it only had MP3s that you played a simulated guitar over. It wasn't like if you messed up, the guitar came out of the song. It wasn't the same <laughs> technology, uh, you know, that that Guitar Hero uses. Oh my. And of course, it was a Christian game, so you would never get booed. And it yes. Was, so so you know, in that you know, it kind of makes me wonder, like, um, if you with what you guys are doing at the university, tell me if Kevin Scott was going to brainchild a Christian theme game. Cause earlier you said, uh, man, do we do, should we have games that are Christian themed games? Yes. If you were going to do that, tell me what your fantasy Christian game is. What, what are you going to make? Well, I don't know that I would be, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be the one to make that because that's not <laughs> where my creative impulses go. But there is, there is one out there that actually I've uh, been sort of a, a very loose, unofficial sort of advisor, you know, supporter of uh, called the Etherlight. Now, this is not aimed at a sort of a mass market adult thing. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's aimed for, uh, for kids between uh, eight and you know, 14 or something like that. And it is designed to be uh, used with Sunday school curriculum, actually. But it is actually quite a good game. Uh, and I know the people who make it. Uh, the artwork is is very good. Uh, the, the, the game is not tremendously complex, but it's actually, it's it's got some crafting and it's got some combat and the system is actually pretty good. Uh, and I would say on the whole, it's actually fairly well implemented. I think they could make it even better if they had more funding. And this actually gets into the whole issue with, with Christian gaming, um, Christian, explicitly Christian games is that, uh, it has generally been underfunded. Uh, it's, it's just not a, a large market. And so, uh, it, it really just has not, uh, had the money to, to create the kind of quality that we expect. Uh, and, and, uh, also, the critical mass of, of creative people working on those uh, has, has until very recently been quite small. Uh, but uh, uh, there is a, an organization that I should probably let your, your listeners know about called the Christian Game Developers Conference mm-hmm. uh, that meets in uh, Oregon every uh, summer in July. And 
uh, it has recently really started ballooning in membership. And, and uh, I think with that, that sort of critical mass of people involved, now not all of them are working in Christian games, but they're all Christians working in the industry. Um, I think that you're, you're going to start to see more creative stuff there uh, happening. Uh, so I, personally, what's important to me is not so much that uh, there is uh, an explicit Christian message. Even the Etherlight actually is interesting. It's it's done as an allegory, so it's they're very consciously aping sort of the, and, and I don't mean that in a negative term. I mean they're they're trying to imitate you know the the C.S. Lewis approach with the Narnia Chronicles, mm-hmm. where there's a an allegory built into it, and and they have that very clearly mapped out in their you know the accompanying Sunday school curriculum and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, uh, I personally I don't feel like there needs to be always an explicitly Christian message. I think what we need is stories of hope. We need stories of redemption. We need stories of forgiveness. We need stories of friendship. And those things happen. Uh, uh, you know, in, in, there are great films that, that hit those themes. Uh, they're rarely perfect. Uh, none of them are perfect, really. And, and I think it's the same thing in the game world. There are some really powerful games out there that you know, have their flaws, but also have some really moving moments in them. And, and that's what I would love to see you know, our students produce, you know, five, ten years down the road when they've, they've graduated and are working on, on powerful things. There are some amazing, amazing things out there. The one game that I will point everyone to over and over again, and anyone who's looked at, you know, my Facebook page and, and uh, followed me in, in public writing and stuff, I flogged this one, uh, is a game called That Dragon Cancer. Um, and it is probably one of the most heartbreaking experiences you will ever have. It is uh, uh, a very simple point and click, but beautifully illustrated, beautiful music uh, story of the Green family whose uh, youngest son uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer when he was one year old. And the game is about the the family's journey through that experience. And um, Ryan and Amy are, are Christian, and uh, because this is not a biographical game, they are very, very explicit about what their experience of grief and, and faith and you know everything else. And this game got massive attention around the world because it was really groundbreaking. I mean, in the game industry, the, the games industry has been focused on for decades on can you make someone cry with a game? Well. This game is, I just, I'm just, I'll warn you in advance, is, is, again, heartbreaking. It is a really, really hard game to go through, not because it's difficult to play, but because emotionally it's, it's taxing. But it is beautiful, mm. and it is one of the strongest testimonies of Christian faith that I've ever seen. And it, it's so authentic. It's not, this is not a piece of proselytization where you're trying to make an altar call. They are living as Christians and showing people what that actually means. Mm. And... Uh, it is tremendously powerful. So uh, you're going to start seeing more, I think, over the next decade, uh, some some really powerful Christian art, uh, because there are some quality Christian people uh, working in the industry uh, and doing some really interesting things, all the way from whimsical stuff like uh, Jay Tolan does uh, the, the uh, Tholen does the, the game um, uh, Dropsy uh, about a sort of weird little clown character, but uh, he's, he's a very thoughtful uh, Christian working in the industry. And, and 
and and I think you're going to see more and more creators like that 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 uh, will will make a difference uh, in the industry. Yeah. Well, Kevin, uh, that's awesome, and I think that's something that all of us need to start looking out for. That game was called That Dragon Cancer. Yes. All right. You know what? Yeah. I'll, I'll look it up and, yeah, and, and make sure to put a link on the website for it. And one last thing that I will just do a little shout out for any Christians who are interested in gaming culture. Uh, the site, the, the ministry Game Church, which is really meant as an outreach to non-Christian gamers, but has gathered a quite a critical mass of, of Christian gamers as well, nice. is a really, really good resource. And in fact, if you read my book, I'm a little bit critical of them uh, in the last chapter. And that was before I really got to know them, and they changed their website a little bit, and uh, I really wish I could rewrite that last chapter. But uh, since then, I've actually written for them, and, and uh, they're, they're just a great place as well. So if you're interested in, in Christianity and gaming, that's a good place to go. Oh, that's awesome. Kevin, um, I, I know you're a busy man. You've probably got a lot to do this afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Before we go, if you will indulge me, sir, I want to hit you with some quick, random, rapid-fire questions that more than likely only the gamers and hardcore gamers in the audience will even understand what I'm talking about. But this is Excellent. a chance for you and I to get to get nerdy together. Uh, can, <laughs> can we do that just for a second? Absolutely. Okay, number one, PC gaming, console gaming, or both? PC Master Race. Mm, you are a PC elitist. <laughs> Number two, which game, whether for research, I think you might have addressed this earlier, for either research or just recreation, which game are you currently right now playing the most? Oh, right now? Uh, well, uh, so I, I play Hearthstone constantly, uh, but I just picked up Overwatch. I know it's late, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to learn Overwatch. Uh, I'm not very good at first-person shooters. Okay, though. gotcha. In, in in a random a random question, in Mass Effect One, do you save Caden or Ashley? You're gonna hate me for this, but I've never played Mass Effect. <laughs> Man, I was gonna air this interview too. All right, number four. <laughs> <laughs> number four. Will they? Will you know? I will give you credit though, because I did read in the book that you were a Dragon Age fan. So yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give you that. Number four. Will they ever make Half Life Three? Okay, so I knew someone who actually worked at Valve, uh, and uh, man, uh -huh. are they sick of answering questions about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have no, there is no, that studio is such a closed box, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, you, you, they could come out with an announcement tomorrow that they've been working on it for a year, or uh, 20 years from now, people could still be asking about it. It is impossible to tell with that mm, place. Okay. And lastly, number five, which game would you make into a movie to finally break the slump of bad video game-based movies? They're doing it. The Last of Us. You really think that's going to translate? Because I love the game. I play it every year. Uh, even my daughter's name is Ellie. Not for that reason. But, you know, it's... Well, at least my wife my wife doesn't think so. But you, I, I gotta, you think that's going to translate well? Because I'm a little worried. I love the game enough that I'm worried that the movie isn't going to translate so well. It is very cinematic. And so if any game is going to transfer, I think it would be that. I mean, I think you could make a good StarCraft... Uh, uh, movie as well, uh, but Warcraft uh, apparently I never, the reviews were so bad for Warcraft no. that I didn't even bother watching it. 
so, and you would have thought that, you know, Warcraft would have a good chance too. But, uh, yeah, I, I think The Last of Us will translate well. Uh, it depends on how, who they get to do it, but I think it will translate well. Nice, nice. Well, guys, we've been talking with author and professor Kevin Scott. If you want to buy his book called Of Games and God, A Christian Exploration of Video Games, there's a link on the website to go buy it right now on Amazon. Just go to www.theedgepodcast.com and you'll see it on the main page. Kevin, it has been a pleasure talking with you, sir. I, I hope someday, if you'll ever lower yourself uh, from the elitist PC high horse that you're on and you ever jump down to console gaming uh, that we can play some games together. Yes, well, I, I, I did go through a phase of console gaming, so I'm not completely averse to it. Okay, so, <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you can expect on next week's episode of The Edge. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Like the show? Buy a shirt. Visit The Edge Podcast Store at www.theedgepodcast.com. This is The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan is a proud partner of JesusFreakHideout.com. JesusFreakHideout.com is one of the world's largest Christian music online resources. Featuring music news, videos, album release dates, album reviews, artist interviews, devotionals, and a lot more. The goal is simple. To bring the latest and greatest in Christian music to the internet masses and beyond. For more information, visit www.jesusfreakhideout.com. Welcome back to the show. Guys, I have to admit that this one was really enjoyable to do this week for me. Let me clarify. You know that I love to learn from and teach the Word of God each week. It's just that this show was a fun discussion for me. And I know that there are many of you who this may not have resonated uh, as much with. And there are some of you who are probably wondering when we're going to do it again. Video games for me have always been my favorite indoor escape activity. And the industry has grown up alongside my generation because it was my generation that first started getting attached to them as kids and then grew up making games that we would want to play as adults. But besides my love for the hobby, it was also the lack of Christian reasoning that this juggernaut industry gets that drove me to want to do a show about it. In some way, shape, or form, most of us, whether we partake in this form of media or not, are going to be somehow touched by it. It is every bit as influential in our culture as television, books, and music, and for that reason, it's important that we, as Christians, being salt and light in this culture, have a balanced view and understanding of what it is so we know how to make educated decisions on where and how it fits into our lives. Nothing good ever comes from approaching new things by sticking our heads in the sand and saying, la, 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 you're not real, I can't hear you. We'll never know the good or bad of anything if we don't examine it first and become educated about it and be willing to talk openly about it. Who knows what avenues of ministry God will give us 
when we become open to discussion. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was a long episode, but I hope you found it informative and entertaining. After all, this is where truth and entertainment like to hang out together. A special thanks goes out to Dr. Kevin Scott. Don't forget to check out his book, Of Games and God, A Christian Exploration of Video Games. There's a link for it on our website, which you can also go to for more information about The Edge Podcast. Just go to www.theedgepodcast.com. All of my social links are at the top right corner of the homepage. Don't Also, don't forget, follow me on Twitter at edgepodcast one Next week, we're going to be starting James chapter two, and who knows, we might just have some more special guests coming up on the Edge podcast. I've been your host, Scott Logan. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget that when you go out and live this week, live on the Edge. You've been listening to the Edge podcast with Scott Logan. Visit the website, www.theedgepodcast.com for a complete list of episodes, blogs, merchandise, and more. And above all else, live on the edge.